0: Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. children than heirs, namely heirs of God, and also fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. Welcome, everybody, to CBC This Morning. My name is Charlie. I am the senior pastor. It's good to see you if you're in the room or if you're watching live or maybe a little later on. Before we get into Romans 8, we have some family business to take care of. Some of you might know, some of you might not, but I'm going to be gone for the next roughly three weeks because my wife is this pregnant, and um, actually, it's it's right up on us. It's any minute now, so my phone is over there, so if you guys find something else that I need to know, right, in the next 30 minutes or so, just give me one of these numbers, and I'll sum to the conclusion, and we have about 25 minutes after that, all right? It's going to be great. Uh, So I'll be gone. Next week, Steve Hickson is coming back here to teach. It's going to be a fantastic Sunday. I'm excited for that. I love and miss Steve all the time. Outside of that and the new kid in my life and a little bit of time off to kind of manage the chaos of my new family, we have a couple exciting things happening at the church that you need to know about. Uh, One is this week, everybody, this week, On probably end of the week, we're shooting for Thursday, maybe Saturday. We are going to have a new website launch. It's not going to be anything you need to do, but we're getting a new website, and with that, we're going to get an app, like an actual app, right? So if you're following this morning at home and you're watching this, maybe later on, you heard that now we have a podcast and an app, and you're thinking, what is this, 2010? (laughs) Right? No! We're catching up with the times. It's going to be really cool. We've worked long and hard to develop it and to into and format it and so You'll see a new website that's hopefully a little cleaner, helps people get where they need to go a little quicker, and then an app that'll just help connect us, and that'll help with our events, and that'll help with all the media stuff and all the things that you need to know. So you'll get more information on that. Along with that is going to be a slight change in how giving is done. Uh, And if you give one at a time, it's not going to change, but if you're a regular giver, uh, and it's signed up as a regular giver, you'll get an email that you need to change how you do that just because we're having a different platform. So look out for that. That'll be planned, but we're really excited about it because the whole purpose is that people might know Jesus. And we want to do whatever we can to take things out of the way so they see Jesus more up front. That's why we're doing all this stuff. So look out for that this week, all right? We're going to be in Romans 8 today. Before we get into the text, let's do what we do at Crossroads, and we're going to pray. We say it every week. We live in a largely critical culture. And this place right here, right now, wherever you're watching this or interacting with the Scriptures this morning, we believe that God is in it. We believe God has you here for a purpose. And we believe his spirit is active this morning to show us more of his goodness. And so what we want to do when we approach this, test, this text is simply ask, where is God moving? We want to put aside the critical spirit that we come into this place with and say, how can we contribute to the conversation of faith? How can we find where the Lord is speaking to me today? So we're going to take a second. We're just going to pray. We're going to ask the spirit that he might speak to us this morning. I'll ask you pray for me as we talk about the beautiful gift of adoption this morning. So, so let's pray. God, I'm thankful that we can be here as a church family. <clears throat> I'm so thankful that this is a place where we can stop down once a week and just remember how good you are to us, where we can read some text together and we can worship together and we can listen to what you're teaching us together because you are active in our lives because you love us and you're present. As we open the scriptures, spirits speak to us. If you're comfortable, I'd ask that you just take a couple seconds and say a quiet prayer that the Holy Spirit might speak to your spirit this morning. And as you pray for me, I might do a good job talking about the character and goodness of God from Romans 8. all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. <clears throat> Amen. Romans 8, if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you don't, we'll have it on some screens for you. My daughter is incredibly particular. I don't know how yours were. She's two and a half, and she likes things the way that she likes things. And I know that most because a couple nights a week, I'll get to put her to bed and she is very specific about how that goes, about what ear you're supposed to tickle at the right time, how many times you're supposed to pat her back, when, where, why, and how, what books you're supposed to read, and how quickly, and she will let you know. So about two months ago, my wife, we sing songs to her uh, when we put her to bed, and she still likes us to sing away in a manger, we're working through seasonality in songs, but my wife made up this song called Nighty Night and forgot to tell me about it. And so we're going to bed and she said, sing the Nighty Night song. And I said, I don't know what that song is. And she's, my daughter's yelling at me, sing the Nighty Night song. So I tried and then I learned it. But to this day, when I try and sing the Nighty Night song to my daughter to put her to bed, she screams at me, no, like mom does it, like mom does it!" And I'm thinking to myself, you're incredibly particular. I'm not gonna have to scare your boyfriends in the future. They're just gonna try and make you happy. I've been trying for 16 years, you know, good luck. But, but really, it's this interesting dynamic between I say the same words, and I say the same story, or I sing the same song, but I don't do it in the right way. All the elements are there, but they're told a little differently, and that shapes meaning for my daughter. Here's a question I have this morning. If somebody asked you, what is the gospel, what would you say? Because in Romans 8, Paul is laying out what the gospel is to people that need to hear it. And he starts from a place of vulnerability and he says, I fall way short of God's standard for me. And in those moments when when I know that I want to be more than I am, I need to know that God still loves me. And he starts in verses one through four, five, six, and he says, Okay, my justification lends itself towards my identity. He talks about that. About how he is found in Jesus that he is found with the Spirit. And he talks about this beautiful doctrine of justification, that God died so that you can be, and that's all there is to it. And then he moves from there into this conversation on sanctification, And he starts talking about, now that I know who I am, the Holy Spirit living in me is shaping who I'm becoming. I'm choosing then to live into the good ways of God because I understand the depth that caused my sanctification in the first place. The more we understand the grace of God, the more we want to live into the ways of God. Sanctification. But what he does now in our text today, starting in verse 14, he's going to put on a new lens for how we talk about the gospel. Because if I asked you, how would you tell somebody about the gospel? I I think through some of the ways that I've tried in the past, you know? And there are so many different tools you you can use. The Romans Road is a tool that we use. Have you guys seen the bridge analogy? You know, it's that big chasm, and you're on one side, and God's on the other, and it's like this pit of death, and the cross comes in and bridges that gap so you can go be with God. That's great. Uh, there's something called the, the wordless book. Have you seen that? It's just a bunch of colors, and it's you know black and white and red, and yellow means something, I think. Anyway, you have all these colors that talk about the story of God, the justification of Jesus for you. One of my favorites, just because I don't understand it, there's something called an Avanja cube. I still don't know, and I have a master's degree in this, but it's out there, and supposedly it tells people about Jesus. What Paul does today in our text is he reframes the story of the gospel through the concept of adoption. And he literally says, I've just spent time talking about justification and sanctification, but let me tell you how those things come together and make sense. Let me tell you how those pieces fit into the larger puzzle. Let me tell you the better way to say it. And he starts talking about this rich doctrine of adoption. And as you read some theologians and different church fathers, what you see is that the more they understand the story of the gospel, the more They liken it to adoption. John Calvin wrote and said that the gospel of adoption is how he would define salvation. John Murray said adoption is the apex of grace and privilege. Paul says you have been adopted. Today we talk about the way to tell the story of the gospel. We talk about adoption you have to understand something when we go through this text, that in a Jewish construct, as Paul's writing to Rome, he's writing to two groups of people that are kind of broken, um, two groups of people that are are at odds with each other, the Jewish perspective and the Roman perspective. And and he picks up this lens of adoption, knowing full well that the Jewish construct had no idea about adoption, because adoption wasn't a thing in a Jewish culture, If your your friend lost their, their wife or they lost their parents, you would just literally, they would come into your family. There wasn't a need for a formal process of adoption. In the Roman world, they made it popular and famous. The Romans started this idea of adoption. Paul uses that and says, this is now the lens through which the gospel makes the most sense. Let's start reading. In verse 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to talk about adoption. I'm going to answer the question why I think it's beautiful and a better way to talk about the gospel, and I'm going to do it in four points that all start with I, because today is Baptist Sunday at Crossroads, all right? We're going to get all alliterative, okay, everybody? And so he starts by saying, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, and here's where we start. The gospel is influential because adoption is influential. More than just a justification for one day. Adoption says, I'm going to change your every day. And in our text, it says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That word led by is in the present tense. It's meaning not just it happened once and so. It literally means every single day the gospel of adoption influences you. Every single day, the gospel of adoption changes you. And when you think about it, when you frame the gospel under this idea of family, that's what family rhythms do, is they change you each and every day. A couple weeks ago on Good Friday, we had a service outside, and it was awesome. And we had all these stations lined up, and one of the stations was the story of Peter when he meets Jesus, and so he asked people to write on cards that were shaped like fish, we asked people to write on cards, you know, when did you meet Jesus for the first time? And then you got to pin this on a net. And we were going through them afterwards, and I asked somebody your staff to read through them and pick out the good ones. They were all good, but some people just wrote like 17. Great. I just don't know what that is. And two weeks ago, Andrea came into my office during a meeting, and she is just in tears. And I'm thinking, how can I run? And she is in tears, and she has one of these fish in her hand. And she said, You guys need to hear this. I don't know if you know the Bedlingtons or not. They've been around CBC for a long time. They just um, had a new kid join their family in the last couple of years named Roman, and it was Roman's fish, and he said, When did you meet Jesus for the first time? He said, When I became a Bedlington, <laughs> you know. Because adoption impacts us every single day. It's more than just you have been made clean now and will experience the truth of that one day. It literally is the influence of family rhythms over time, in time. And, and when you think about it, that is how God has interacted with his people for all time. God is not a God that says, I'm going to create it, set it, and forget it. This is not the Ron, the Ron Peel, you know, kind of infomercial of the gospel. If you get that reference, you and I are going to be friends, Okay. What he's saying all throughout the scriptures is I want to be present with my people constantly leading them. Go to the story of Adam and Eve. He didn't just leave them in the garden and say, go and be. I'll check in in a month. He said, every day I walk with you. Go to the story of the Exodus. He said, every day I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to give you a map and say, have fun. Have fun. Go to the story of how he's supposed to lead his people in the the, the new land that he promised them. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a king. His model was, I am your king, and every day I will lead my people over and over again. God has been a present God in the lives of his people. God's design is to lead us each and every day. Adoption reminds us of that. Adoption tells us that we are led by the Spirit of God because we are the sons of God. And even today, God leads us every day. He does it in different ways. He does it through scriptures and through community groups and through friends and through quiet times and through pick what you want to insert here. But God is a present God who leads us. Adoption reminds us that he's present each and every day because adoption is is influential in nature. And then he goes on to say in our text, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. And he, he kind of goes deeper into what it means to lead and he gets into the why he adopted us in the first place. You did not receive the spirit of slavery leading to fear. You received the spirit of adoption. <laughs> In, in the, the Jewish construct, again, he's speaking to these two different groups. When it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, what he's talking about is their perspective of how they viewed God. Because he gave them a bunch of laws, and he said, live up and live into it. And that, when, you, when you think about it, that is incredibly oppressive. That's why in Galatians 5... Paul says when he's writing that Jesus came to set you free from the yoke of slavery or how you interpret the law. Jesus came so that you might find freedom, not oppression. It's not about how much you live into the law, but about how much you know that Jesus has set you free from the things where you were weak. It's this idea that he leads to freedom, not slavery. What it does when we understand it right is adoption reminds us that God loves us and he's adopted us because of who he is. In the Roman perspective of adoption, their model was a little different. They adopted kids because of legacy. So in the first century world, if you're a Roman father, you would adopt mostly fully grown men, not kids. You'd adopt fully grown men because you thought that they could better increase and influence your legacy after you were gone. Legacy was big in the Roman world. And so you'd look at 15 to 18 to 19-year-old men and you'd adopt them and say, they're going to do a better job telling my family story than I have than my kids right now. And you'd adopt kids, fully grown kids, because they could bring something to your family that you didn't have. And if you were adopted by these noble groups of people that wanted to increase their inheritance, then you also gained something out of it, right? Because your family then is catapulted to, tied to this upper level class-wise, this upper class family. Here's what we know about how God adopts, and we read it in the liturgy before, but when he says that you have been adopted, he doesn't do it because you can add something to him, but because he is loving towards us. That's why in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 kind of maps out the story of adoption in the gospel, and it says in verse 4, you were all these things, but because of God's great love for you. What we have to understand is the why behind God's adoption because it's important. God adopts because he loves, and that's it. Because here's what I know. I know that conditional love always leads to fear. (laughs) Conditional love always enslaves because you're too busy looking over your shoulder and wondering when the love is going to run out. We have entire religious systems based on this, right? You have to do enough, and you don't know if you've done enough for God, but you're going to find out one day when you die. That sounds terrifying to me. That is the opposite of the gospel of Jesus. That is the opposite of what Paul is saying when he says you are adopted. He said you are free and not full of fear anymore because you have been adopted by God. It's this idea that God adopts out of an overflow of love because that's how he's always chosen to do it. And it's important to understand. It's important to understand that when God adopts, it's always because he loves and with no other motive. Because again, you can't add to the legacy of God. I don't know if you knew that or not. I can't add to the legacy of God. So it's really important to understand a little bit of Trinity here. Because when we talk about God, what the Trinity does... God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit. What the Trinity does is it allows us to define God in the context of unadulterated love. So we talked about it before, but what was Jesus before he was incarnate? As Jesus, he was always the Son, So he's an eternal son, and God's always an eternal father, and the Spirit's always an eternal spirit. So when we talk about Trinity, what we're saying is that there was this relationship of love that overflowed into everyone else. Literally, God is defined by the existence of or the explanation of a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we get to adoption, what we realize out of a theology of the Trinity is that God adopts solely out of love, solely out of not your merit but his, solely out of an unconditional love that doesn't lead to fear but says, I love you, and you're mine. Because conditional love always leads to fear and slavery. And that's why you've seen Christians do a really good job at adoption, you know? So there's a bunch of stats out there, but if you're a Christian, as a Christian group, we are two times more likely to adopt than people that don't know Jesus. In the first, second, and third century, there was a huge Christian movement towards adoption. It actually caused the Roman and the Egyptian world to almost put a ban on adoption because Christians were adopting too many kids out of the overflow of their love for God. Because when you adopt a kid, they don't necessarily add a ton to your family. You do it because you care and love them. So the motivation matters. It's why Christians are good at adopting kids now. God adopts out of love, and that influences us. So adoption is influential, but if you keep reading, adoption is also, this is what influential love does, it's also incredibly intimate. He goes on to say in our text um, that we then get to call Abba Father, by whom we cry Abba Father. That term there, Abba Father, means father, father in in, in Arabic and Greek. And, And so the indication there, the implication there, is essentially that it's just intimate, and that's really important to understand, because in the first century world, again, he's talking to two groups. He's talking to the Roman group, and if you were a Roman kid, your relationship with your dad wasn't necessarily defined by love. There's something called the paterfamilia, which is the construction of the family life in the first century Roman world. And in that world, the father was put at the top, and he could do whatever he want, whenever he wanted, however he wanted. And that's how he ran his household, his kids, his women, and his slaves. That's why Paul talks about it in Ephesians and in other places in the scripture. He says, hey, these three relationships guide your family, so let me talk about what love looks like in all these things. And so when we talk about the Roman model... Loving your kids wasn't necessarily your best good. It was getting what you wanted. That's right, fathers could steal from their kids, could sentence their kids to death. Fathers could literally not admit their kid was theirs when you had a kid the first time the, the midwife delivered or your wife did and she put it down on the floor and if the father picked up the kid, he became part of the family. If the father didn't, you put it on the doorstep to either be taken as a slave or die of exposure. So when Paul talks about an adoption relationship that's a familiar relationship in the context of intimacy that blew the doors off the first century world's relationship between father and son. In the Jewish perspective, they knew God as a father, but it was a distant father. They would pray all the time, but they wouldn't actually say the name of God out of reverence. So God was their father, but not an intimate father. It's best said that God was the father of their nation, but not the father of them individually, you know? The father that shows up, like your birthday and every other Christmas kind of sort of thing and so when Paul says that not only are we adopted out of the overflow of the love of God it's an intimate way to look at life we can cry Abba Father he's redesigning their idea of what a relationship with God is he's saying that we have access to God and sometimes when we deal with texts like this that talk about fathers we have to understand baggage that comes into the texts. you know Because so often when we think of fathers, it's defined by our experience of father. And what Paul is saying here is it's not anymore. Regardless of how you experience father, God is an intimate father. I've heard of several times in adoption when, when families adopt kids from third world countries or from rougher circumstances that they get older and kids hide food under their bed. It's pretty common that are adopted because when they were small and young, they didn't know when they'd get fed again. And I've talked to parents that find food stashes under kids' beds, and they say, why are you doing this? Because I didn't know where my next meal was for so long. And they have to say, but that's not where we are anymore. We have to deal with the baggage and say, this is different. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying, you have access to God in a way that you didn't realize was possible. One of my favorite analogies of this is JFK and John Jr., So if you don't know, JFK had a son named John Jr., and there's a couple pictures that go back in the day where you'd see JFK at the Resolute Desk, right? You guys seen this picture? At the Resolute Desk, and he's speaking to heads of states, and he's speaking to very powerful people that have to make an appointment to be in that room that don't get access whenever they want, and in the picture right underneath, right in the middle of the desk is John Jr. sitting there, you know? It's the idea that he's the only one with that kind of access because he's his kid. Nobody else gets that kind of access to the most powerful man in the world. Paul is saying you have access to God beyond what you thought was possible because he is an intimate God. Adoption tells that story of intimacy. And then he goes on to say not only is adoption influential and intimate, but it's immutable. And by immutable there, it means it doesn't change. He goes on to say, the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. (laughs) In the Roman world, when you adopted a kid, you couldn't undo it ever, ever. And Paul knows in the middle of this text, he said it probably 10 times in the first 16 verses in Romans 8 you are gods, you are gods, you are gods, you have the spirit, you have the spirit, you have the spirit, and he keeps saying it. Do you know why? Because we need to keep hearing it. Because in the middle of those moments, this whole text about Paul wrestling with his insecurities and wrestling with the fact that he doesn't live into his calling enough and wrestling with, but I really am a child of God, wrestling with what adoption really means, wrestling with the fact that there's nothing you could do to make God not love you as his kid if you follow Jesus. There's nothing you could do if you've accepted Christ to, to, to make God say you're no longer mine. And in that moment, what happens here is he's saying, when he says the spirit bears witness to our spirit, he's saying that even when you don't believe it, the Holy Spirit's gonna come alongside you and whisper, yes, you are. You are. And a beautiful moment because at certain points, we will question whether or not we're adopted, if we're living out our family rhythms well or maybe we're not. There's a, a memoir turned into a book called Beautiful Boy. It's by a father named David Sheff and his son, Nick. It's, it's an incredible movie, by the way. It's a movie about a son who deals with addiction, and it's hard. I think it's a meth addiction, so it's, it's a hard addiction. And, and the movie is gut-wrenching to watch, but it's really beautiful because it's all about how this father chooses to love his kid through something very, very difficult, even when his kid makes decisions that hurt him even when his kid steals his money and breaks his stuff. And they come back to it time and time again, and the father just says, but you're my son. You're my son. You're my son. It goes back to the question of eternal security that Paul is dealing with in his vulnerabilities in this text, saying, what could we do to not be a child of God if we are one? And the answer is nothing. somebody asked me, what could my daughter do to not be my daughter anymore, I'd say nothing. So Paul's saying, adoption is... Influential and adoption is intimate, and adoption is immutable. It's not going to change. You can't walk that back. Adoption is a beautiful way to talk about the gospel, especially in our vulnerabilities, especially in the moments we don't feel like we live up to enough, which is where Paul's at right now. So adoption is influential, and it is in all the ways intimate, and it's immutable, and here's your last eye, adoption, is and promises inheritance. See, it's really easy to justify somebody and not be intimate with them. It's really easy to justify and know that you're good one day. But what adoption does is it also promises the same things that God has for God. He said he's going to give to us. And so Paul ends by saying, if children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs of Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so may we also be glorified with him. Here's what we have to know. Adoption necessarily, if you've adopted a kid, it doesn't fix everything overnight. There are hard days, right? Adoption is difficult, and anybody that adopts, I I pray for, man. My friends that adopt kids. Cause it's hard because you're battling with the baggage that we've talked about. You're battling with who you were and who you are now. You're battling with who you're becoming. You're trying to rewrite their story and say, believe something better and new right now. But you're also saying that you're in my family that's never going away. And now what's mine, 100% is yours. And so Paul says the sufferings that Christ has, we're going to share in, but also the glory that Christ has and will have, we're going to share in as well. Adoption promises inheritance. So even in the middle of the hard parts today, it's saying that there is a better tomorrow. With adoption comes hope. Adoption does more than just say your sins are forgiven. Adoption says here is what you are given in Jesus. It's a beautiful promise of not just today, but of the glory that Jesus has tomorrow. It's saying look ahead, there is better. Adoption is a story of hope. I love this last point. So in the first century world, we talked about it, Roman adoption was usually about inheritance, was usually um, an older guy, was in a way something that you could never take back. But as Paul's talking about this, this he, he knows his audience. And, and when they're talking about adoption, when he's writing them about adoption, I, I'm betting you they're thinking about the same thing together. I, I'm betting they're thinking about this guy named Octavius. So Octavius was a boy that was born in the 50s and 60s B.C. And his dad died when he was four. And writers talk about that he was a sickly kid, meaning he wasn't exactly the strongest in the bunch. But, but he had an uncle, and his uncle's name was Julius Caesar. And his dad died, and there's a civil war that lasted about 100 years, and one day Julius Caesar adopted Octavius. And then over time, Julius Caesar died because there was a civil war, and so some of his people killed him. And Octavius became, because he was Julius Caesar's son by adoption, Octavius became the emperor of Rome. He's also known as Caesar Augustus. He was seen as one of the most, if not the most, influential emperors in the history of Rome. He ended the Civil War. He brought peace called Pax Romana. He increased the lands of Rome and the glory of Rome and the splendor of Rome. If you think about adoption in the first century world and the promise of what could be, you think about this kid that started as four with no father and then found himself the most powerful man in the history of the world. That's the promise Paul is saying here. When he's saying that you not just share in the sufferings, but in the glory of Jesus, he's saying, look what adoption did for this king that we had. He's saying, you get to share in his inheritance. And so it says in the end that Christ shares his glory with us because we are sons of God. That is a remarkably different story than most deities in that day, where God was distant And where God didn't share his glory, he just wanted you to increase his glory. It's a remarkably different story, and here's what it does for us. We recognize that adoption calls us into a different way of living. That's not just we get to be part of, but we get to be owners of God's redemptive narrative. It changes our mindset. (laughs) that now we get to share in what God is doing, and we get to share in the glory of God, and we get to share in the love of God as we live out the story of adoption. Because there are are moments that impact us and then there are moments that define us, you know? There are moments that change our today and there are moments that change our everyday. Driving up here this morning, I hit all the lights on 407. Today's a great day, you know that? That never happens. There are moments that change our today and there are moments that change our everyday. There's flu season and there's a pandemic season. One changes your day if you get the flu, one changes a generation. Paul's saying adoption is the way we talk about the gospel because it's more than just a moment. It's a way that we live. It changes everything. Adoption is the better story of the gospel because adoption gives us access to God's presence today and his promises tomorrow. He says, you have been adopted. May it influence you. May you know that you're intimate with the God who loves you. May you know that's not changing anything and that you have an inheritance that you share with Jesus. You are Adopted. It's a better way to tell the story. So as people, as people who share and adopt and we have to, adoption, we have to ask the, the question, what does it change? That's <laughs> something you got to wrestle with a little bit? There are two ways you do application from texts, right? You say things like, well, God said don't lie and I can get up here and I can say, so stop lying to people, right? That's an easy way to do it. But there's also deeper ones that say, you know what, this is a fundamental lens changer for you. So may it change how we think about our relationship with God. May we sit in how much God loves us and may that shape who we're becoming. May we understand the depth of the concept of adoption so that we can tell that story because that changes our motivation. Or or maybe you just need to know that God is near and when you call, he cares. (laughs) Maybe you need to, like Paul writes, just say, Abba, Father, I need this. Maybe we need to plug more into how God is influencing us so I ask the question, if you're adopted, how is God's rhythms affecting your day-to-day? Maybe we just need today the hope that we get to inherit all that God has. Adoption tells a better story than justification. It tells the full story of what God's doing in and through his people, in and through Jesus, in and through the entirety of the scriptures. So Paul builds his case in Romans 8, and he starts with know who you are, he says it's impacting you today and tomorrow, and then he says ultimately these two things tie together through this lens of adoption. Know that, and so he's painting a bigger, better picture of what the gospel is, and he's saying this is how it all makes sense. You are an adopted people, but here's what we know. And he said we're going to end this morning that adoption isn't free at all. You know, the average adoption cost in the states is between fifty and sixty k. That's a lot. And so we know they got adopted, we know God adopted out of love, but as children of God, what we can never do is think that that came easy or free. And so we end today's discussion on the beauty of adoption with remembering the cost of adoption. So if you're at home and you grab some communion elements, we're gonna take communion together. J.I. Packer's a theologian, and he said adoption needs to always be remembered through propitiation, and that's just a fancy word of saying sacrifice that the adoption of God came at a cost for God. Because what that does, (laughs) what that does is it deepens our understanding of how much God loved you. Deepens our understanding of the cost that God paid so that we might be his children. It increases our awareness of his love for us. And it reminds us that he's not going anywhere, that he's near and that we're his children. It reminds us of adoption's beauty. So as we take communion, we think about the cost that Christ paid so that you might become family. The cost that Christ paid so that you might become children of God. Because that's what the gospel promises we are. So on the night that Jesus went to the cross, he sat with his disciples and he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this, this is my body. And it's broken for you. This is my cost so that you can be in my family. Eat and remember. And he held up some wine. He said, you're gonna drink wine and every time you drink wine, remember this is my shed blood for you. This is my cost for you to be in my family. Drink and Remember. Adoption isn't just a word. It's not just an idea. It's a way that we live. It's a better way to talk about the beauty of the gospel, about a God who is influencing and who is intimate and who is immutable and who gives us his inheritance. It's a way that we live into God's presence now and his promises for the future. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might be adopted into his family. May he pray for us? God, I'm so thankful that we can be called the family of God. I'm so thankful that you've called the sons and daughters. I'm thankful for what that means for my every single day. I'm thankful for what that means for how much you love me. I'm thankful that I can call you, Father, whenever I need to because you're near. I'm thankful that one day we get to share in the glorious inheritance of Jesus together. I'm thankful that we get to call you, Father, and that we're adopted, and that we're sons and daughters. I pray that we know it, and we call it with confidence. live in a way that tells a story of adoption (laughs) may people see the beauty of Jesus as we live it out every single day we pray these things in his name